Hello everyone, and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, I've been getting into the, the spirit of the season, the October spirit, and I've been dipping into some horror games. It's not my usual genre, but it is that time of the year, and whilst I don't normally play many horror games, um, I do like to, to stick my head in the door and, uh, and see what has been going on in the genre, try out a few recommended games, and try not to freak myself out entirely in the process, which is actually quite easy to do. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you probably know that I myself am quite um, sensitive to horror stuff. I haven't always been that way, but I've found that as the years have gone on, I've kind of, I don't know, I used to be into horrors, um, films and games. I was like an original Resident Evil 1 player way back on, on PlayStation 1. And I used to really enjoy horror movies actually, but for some reason, at some point, I kind of became super sensitive to that kind of thing. It feels like over time my my separation between what I was seeing on the screen and and uh, the kind of the anxiety that I was feeling in my body was kind of becoming disproportionate, and that horror was perhaps not my thing anymore. So I don't play them usually, but I have dipped into it. I've rounded up a few uh, indie horror games for the episode, and I I did actually find one that that really stuck with me, and that will be the featured game of this episode. It's a Windows-based title that came out last week. It's the 26th of October, 2021, as I'm recording this. And that game is Inscription. Inscription spelt with a Y. Um, and I really had a great time with that one. It's, it's something quite special. So I'm looking forward to sharing my thoughts on that game with you today. But before I do that, I thought I would round up a few horror games that I've played this year. Because there are always a few, you know. There are always a few spooky games that seem to rear their spooky heads and jump out of the pile and demand to be played, really. So before I talk about Inscription, I'm going to run through a few of them. Um, the first one is a game that I was playing uh, in this summer, actually, when it first came out. It's an indie game that I heard about on the Time Played 3HR podcast called Moondown, spelt M-U-N-D-A-U-N. And this is a really interesting one. It's a very grainy, atmospheric, black-and-white, first-person game um, in which you arrive at a a strange rural community on the top of a mountain. Um, I think it it feels like kind of Bavaria or Germany. It's been a while since I played the start of the game now, so I can't quite remember the specifics of it. But you're you're on a bus at the start of the game, and you kind of come up a, a winding mountain road um, to the top of the mountain, above the clouds, on the very peak of the mountain, in this strange little farming community. And this is where your your grandfather lived and had a farm. But he died in mysterious circumstances in a fire, and you've come to kind of investigate his death. And so when you get off the bus at the, the top of the mountain at Mundown, you go to your father's old farm, uh, your grandfather's old farm rather, there are people living there, but it's a pretty spooky, run-down, backwater community, and there's a lot going on. As you're starting to explore, you start having these arcane visions. And so it's a really interesting mixture between going back to like um, an old, nostalgic kind of home place that your character um, grew up in, and finding that it's, it's just very strange, a deeply strange environment. There are strange creatures abroad, there are strange people to meet, um, and there's just a lot going on on the top of this mountain. You kind of run around the fields, you find an old church with a a really weird priest inside who has some very odd things to say to you, and you kind of try to piece together what happened with your grandfather's death, and you realise that there is a ghostly scenario going on on the top of this mountain. And I had fun with this game for the first hour or so, I would say, there's something very appealing about it. The The visuals are really striking. I think it might be hand-drawn even. Um, it has a pencil-drawn look to the whole thing. It's a very cool-looking game and very unusual. The, uh, the monochrome palette gives it a really heavy atmosphere. 
um, and you really feel like you're kind of stuck out on a limb, which is a good premise for any horror game, being in a, a place that you can't easily get away from and not fully understanding what's going on. So you walk around, you have a little inventory that you can bring up where you have like a, say you find a pipe or a key or some matches or a map. You can open your inventory and use those items. You have to find things to kind of progress in the story, some quite simple kind of object puzzles. Um, and then you have these strange nighttime experiences. Um, it has a day-night cycle that's triggered by story events. And at night, things get very strange. There are some monsters roaming around that you have to try and avoid. And after you complete a sequence, you will move on to the next part of the game. And while I was really into the story of this one, really into the look and the vibe, the kind of dark atmosphere that it has, and the whole scenario is kind of fascinating. It has a, an arty horror movie feel to the whole thing. And it has some quite inventive gameplay too. There is one point at which you have to get up higher on the mountain. You have to go and uh, retrieve some objects from the peak of the mountain. Um, and to do that, you get into a little kind of hay cart that sucks up hay into it, into the compartment on the back. So you have to kind of drive around hoovering up this hay to get enough hay um, for some reason. And it's kind of this weird, fun little driving game. And I was kind of really into this one. I was very curious to see where the story would go. But as the game progresses, it introduces aggressors that will, will um, trail after you. If they see you, they'll come for you. They're these kind of corn men that will chase you around. And I think you're supposed to be able to burn them with uh, matches that you find around. But I actually found this quite hard to accomplish with the way that the controls work and stuff. So these kind of haymen come chasing after you, come rambling after you. Um, and if they get too close, your character gets scared and then kind of hay closes in over your eyes until you're, you're done and you get Finn appearing on the screen and you have to go back to your last save. But I found that I couldn't really handle them. I felt like I was supposed to be able to use my matches to fend them off, to burn them, burn them down or set hay on fire that would then set them alight. Um, and more times than not, I would die whilst I was trying to get the matches to work. I'm not sure if it's some kind of contextual control where you have to have armed the matches in your inventory and you have to be facing the right way to use them or something, but it all felt very awkward to me. Um, and that's all well and good because you can just run away from them, but as the game progresses, there are more and more of them around. Um, and I found that I was just kind of running into walls again and again. Um, and kind of struggling through the gameplay. And in the end, I'd, I'd kind of stopped having fun with it in the end. Um, so despite the fact that this game had everything going for it, um, it's one of those games that you want to like and you like everything about apart from playing it. Um, so Mundown is like a... It's an interesting monochrome, moody uh, horror indie game um, that I wanted to like, but I couldn't quite get on with the gameplay, and so I kind of bailed on it. Um, it's the kind of game that I might go and watch someone play, just to see what happens, and to watch someone else struggling through the gameplay, seeing as I couldn't really, uh, have the patience to do it myself. So Mundown hit on some levels, and specifically aesthetically. I really liked the art style, I really liked the idea, the scenario, the writing, but the gameplay was not for me. Um, but another game that I tried out is one that caught my eye when it first came out, um, in no small part because it was the first next-generation exclusive on the Xbox. And this one is The Medium. This was made by Bloober Team, who had previously made Layers of Fear and The Blair Witch Project. Um, it takes eight or nine hours to complete. Um, it's sitting at 71 to 75 on Metacritic. It did actually come out on PlayStation uh, more recently, so I think it must have been a timed exclusive for Xbox. And this is a game with quite a lot to like about it. It's very cinematic. It looks beautiful. Um, the sound design is great. The music is great. Um, and this one has uh, really, really good visuals, actually. It's very detailed. The environments are very detailed. Um, the thing that I like most about it, probably, is the way that the camera operates. So as you're walking down, it's a third-person game, and as you're walking down, say, a corridor, or from a room down a hallway to another room, the camera will kind of swoop in behind you and follow you. And it doesn't really feel like a third-person game camera where the, the person, uh, the protagonist, is the centre of the shot. It felt more like a movie. It felt more uh, filmic. It felt like something like The Shining, perhaps. 
where the camera is kind of gliding down the hallways to reveal the kind of the full detail and texture and atmosphere of this kind of widescreen space. So that was something that I really enjoyed about the medium right from the off. And you play a, a medium, the medium, um, who sort of exists between worlds. So your main character is uh, a psychic, basically, who, as she is moving through life, she sometimes drifts into another plane of existence by triggering events or by spirits that are trapped between worlds, spirits of the dead who have not been able to move on. A little bit like The Sixth Sense. I think it, it takes a little bit of a its cue from that movie. Um, it's a really interesting one. And during one job at the start, you're kind of helping to usher a spirit onto the next world. But you get a very strange message that's directing you to a kind of a, a an abandoned communist holiday camp, I want to say, called the Neva Resort, which was the scene of a massacre in strange circumstances. It's long since been abandoned and shuttered. Um, and I think it's somewhere in Eastern Europe, somewhere around the Russian border, something like that. Um, and so you come to this resort, it's really dark, it's really gloomy, you feel alone, you feel, again, I guess this is like a trope of, of horror movies, but you feel like you're out on a limb, you feel like you're not quite sure how you would get away from here or what you're walking into, and that you're in a very vulnerable and precarious situation. And it starts off with more of a kind of a feeling of creeping dread, I would say, than straight up horror. So you get to the Neva Resort, um, and you have to get in, so you have to kind of find a way to get over the gates, over the fence, you have to push a bin up against the fence, it's basic kind of push-pull object puzzles. You can find little books and magazines lying around that are kind of very much of the period when the Neva Resort was still running, so there's lots of kind of 80s stuff around. Um, and as you come through the gates, you come through a creepy forest into a car park, an empty car park, just a couple of knackered old cars that have been there forever, seemingly. And you have to break your way into the main building through some broken windows. So you're kind of getting deeper into this scenario. And you've been called there because there is some kind of disaster that is coming, some kind of strange um, psychic event. And you've been called there by someone mysterious as the person who has to fix it, or the one person who has the ability to head off whatever is coming. And as you get into the Neva Resort, it's it's just brilliant, really. It's an abandoned holiday resort, so there is stuff everywhere. There is suitcases from former residents or holiday makers. There is a huge empty reception hall with flickering lights, you know, a telephone ringing in the distance, and sort of strange sounds, and you're not sure where they're coming from. Um, and it's definitely building up this oppressive atmosphere. Quite impressive, really. I was very engaged by this opening sequence. Um, but this game has one central mechanic that is, it kind of hinges on. It's, it's what it's bringing to the table for the genre, really. And that is that when your protagonist moves into the spirit realm, it's a parallel reality that appears on the screen. And so on the left-hand side of the screen, you'll see your protagonist walking into the screen, into the Neva holiday camp, and in the right-hand side of the screen, you'll see an exact mirror of the world that you're in, but it's not the Neva Holiday Camp. It's some kind of strange uh, parallel dimension where instead of large halls, it's this kind of papery, parchmenty, strange, glowing, coloured uh, space where the walls are actually made out of skulls or bones. And all of the architecture that you can see and the furniture and the features that you can see in the real world are mirrored in this really cool gothic style and the character that you play in the in the other realm is she looks the same but she has white hair instead of black and she's wearing this strange garb and so you're looking at two different versions of reality uh, one of which is the real world one of which is the spirit world and things that you do in one realm will affect the other for example, clearing a doorway in the spirit realm might open it for you in the real world. And there are times at which you transition purely into the spirit realm and that fills the whole screen. And those are some of my favourite parts of the game because the the gothic architecture is really striking and it's, it's really quite a kind of horrifying vision in some ways. And it's not straight up horror, but it's it's very gothic, it's very dark. And it's kind of chilling and cool to think that there is this 
this parallel realm sitting just behind the real world that you're able to access. But again, a little bit like Mundown, the, the gameplay um, isn't quite there here in this game either. Um, there are some pretty old-fashioned gameplay mechanics here, um, almost point-and-click adventurish puzzles where you have to do something to make something else happen. You have to take objects and combine them. Uh, you have to wind a clock in one world to make a door open in the other. And some of some of this moon logic that I'm not particularly fond of. I would also say that whilst it's very impressive to look at as you're walking around the environments, the walking around, um, it suffers from that problem that so many, even big budget games do, of invisible walls. So sometimes you'll see a space that you think you might be able to squeeze through, or you might see a ledge that you might be able to climb across, and, and you try and walk towards it and find that your cam your character is just walking against an invisible wall. And it's, it's a real shame that there hasn't been a better solution found for this problem of demarcating areas that your character can and can't go into, and animating your character so that they they might bump into something and stop rather than doing this kind of computer game character walking into walls thing that we've all seen so much of, especially in a game that is trading on immersion to some degree that really wants to suck you into this very detailed, strange environment and allow you to get lost in it. Things like that, like puzzles that just seem very counterintuitive and odd and, and kind of clunkily put together and walking against invisible walls all the time, um, and quick time events. There are quick time events in this game, and I mean, they really shouldn't be in modern games as far as I'm concerned. You know, when something grabs you and then you have an opportunity to hit a button really quickly to get free, it's a very dated mechanic. And so for all of the next-gen touches that the medium has uh, visually, and in terms of the the fidelity of the whole experience, it's very, very cool and very good to look at. It has very, very dated gameplay, and I find that surprising. Point-and-click puzzles and quick time events um, I could do without in, in my games generally. But there is a lot to like about it. Um, as the game progresses, you will come up against an antagonist who is voiced by Troy Baker, who I have to say does some real um, A-plus overacting with this kind of howling demon that is just um, beside itself, that is hunting for you, that is lonely and just gibbering. Um, and you, you have to stealth your way past it with some really clunky stealth gameplay um, and quick time events if you get caught. Um, and whilst the gameplay is not fun, really, um, Troy Baker's acting is is worth worth the price of admission. Um, so I'm still playing the medium. I'm, I'm having a slow going time with it, I think, because of this clunky gameplay problem. But it's it's an intriguing game. It's an atmospheric game and I am enjoying it. So I will be persisting with that one. And the next game that I'm going to talk about is an indie card game. It's quite an interesting one. It's called Black Book. It came out earlier this year. It's uh, by Morteshka, and it's published by Hype Train Digital. It's on PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, and Switch, so you can play it on anything, basically. Um, and I got a code for this one, so thanks to the developer for that. I started playing it on PlayStation. Um, and I found that after a while, I would say two or three hours of gameplay, I found that I was struggling to play the card game in a fast, um, fluid way using a gamepad. Um, so I actually emailed them back, and I, I remembered that I started playing Slay the Spire on PlayStation originally. Um, I have 100 hours in that game now. I think the first one or two were on PlayStation, but I, I felt like the controller was kind of hindering me in going at the speed that I wanted to. And so I bought that Slay the Spire on iOS and found that touching the screen to swipe my cards and going into high speed mode felt so much more fluid and good. Um, and I'd also been playing Inscription on my computer using the mouse. And so I actually emailed the developer back and said, I think I would like to try this one on Steam. So I switched over to Steam and played through the opening section of the game again. Um, the second time you play through something, you always go so much faster, so it wasn't really a problem. I got through it in half the time. And I think that the game definitely thrives when you're using a mouse, because you can click on the card you want, you can kind of manoeuvre very 
quickly around the screen. You're not kind of trying to use buttons and joysticks and uh, trigger shoulder buttons to cycle between cards in a way that feels not good to me. So this one, I think, is uh, is best played on a computer. Um, I'm not sure if the Switch version uses the touchscreen, but if it did, I think that would be great too. Um, I would say controller isn't... I mean, for me personally, controller isn't the way to play card games, basically. But Black Book has been quite well received. It's got 75 through 81% on Metacritic across all the formats. It has 8.7 from players. So players have actually preferred this one to the critics. And How Long to Beat has it at 30 hours, which did make me raise an eyebrow, um, because although I'm quite enjoying it, I, I hadn't imagined that I'd be putting quite that much time into it. Um, it's a narrative deck-building game based on really bleak, dark, interesting Slavic myths. So it's based on real witch, uh, real witchcraft. Well, kind of real witchcraft. You do play a witch in this game called Vasilisa, whose husband has died and been buried on unconsecrated ground, which means that he goes to hell. And so she sets out to become a witch under the tuition of an older male relative witch who wants to pass on the black book to her and teach her the dark ways. So at the start of the game, you become a witch. Um, you have a base in this game, which is your mentor's home, old Igor's home. Um, and you take visitors there, and they all have uh, problems. They have like a, they're being haunted by uh, a demon that's t uh, making their livestock die, or the wheels of their mill have been stopped by imps. That kind of thing. Someone's put a curse on them, and you have to use your witch knowledge to solve their problems, which sometimes involves answering a question with four options, the answer to which can usually be found in your encyclopedia or by remembering things that Igor has said to you. So there are clues in the game. There's a lot of text in this game and there, it's packed with clues that could come in handy as you're dealing with all of these supernatural problems. But after you've finished up your, your morning's work as a witch and after talking to Igor and you can play a card game as well, and you can do some other bits and pieces around the house environment. You can sort out the pages of your black book, which will act as cards. You're then presented with a map screen with several stops on it. Like most of the card games, you know, they have a map screen, you have encounters, and you head out into the wild to try and look into the mystery of saving your husband's soul. Um, and this game is often in third person. There are sections where you get direct control over Vasilisa. If you're on a controller, you can move around, but I preferred the mouse, so it became a point-and-click game. Um, so you can run around an environment, say a forest scene. You can pick herbs that you can use to heal. You can find old items and that kind of thing. Maybe there's a grave that you can look into. You can find something that you can use, and then you're off to the next the map screen and on to the next encounter. Sometimes they are towns where people will ask for your help. Sometimes it's like a swamp where a demon will come out from the trees. Um, you can try and reason with demons and talk to them. It has this very rich sense of being part of real superstition uh, and real folklore. Everything feels very earthy. The way that the, uh, the people talk to you, they're always teaching you something. It does feel a little bit like Black Book, as much as being a game, is kind of educating you in the Slavic mythology that it's based on. So you'll find out about churts, which are kind of demons that uh, torture people. And you'll find out about all these different kinds of strange creatures, like a balaichka, which is a, a demon that lives in a banya, which is like a steam house where people go to give birth. You'll find out about aspen demons. And you'll find out about all of the kind of things that people from this region would attribute misfortune to, like failed crops or conflicts or um, inexplicable events, uh, deaths in the family, things like this. There's seemingly a supernatural explanation for pretty much everything. And as the witch of the community, um, it's down to you to answer them and solve them. Um, but as you head on through the scenes, you'll sometimes stop in a village where you can buy things and talk to people. People will sometimes be singing, and you can listen to traditional music there, which will heal your health. Sometimes you'll have to fight, and uh, that's where the card game aspect comes into it. Um, it's kind of a simple card game in a way. You have uh, black cards to attack and white cards to defend. You have different uh, synergies 
For example, if you play a card that has Bless, then your Defend cards will give you more armor. If you play a card that has Well-Versed, then your attack cards will hit harder. And so you have to work on synergies, you have to work on the order in which you play cards. Um, there's a lot to figure out, you know, it has its specificities, it has its own system going on. But it's quite a slow-moving card game, I would say. I think that's partly down to the fact that it has quite good animation. So every time Vasilisa will cast a spell in battle, you'll see an animation of her casting the spell, and the same goes for your opponents, these kind of black shadowy demons. And you're looking at all of this on a, a nice background, a nice image of a forest or of a ruined town, or wherever it happens to be. So you have your little card battle. Um, they are quite tough at the start, I would say. Um, I I failed a few times on um, on boss fights particularly. They seem to be real, like the card game equivalent of uh, bullet sponges. So I switched down to easy mode, which literally just halves the hit points of all enemies in the game. Um, it was a little too easy. It's it's one of those strange ones where normal mode is a little more grindy than you want it to be, and and story mode or easy mode is not hard enough to present any kind of challenge, and so the combat becomes a little meaningless. And so it was a, a strange one. Like I couldn't quite find the uh, the difficulty level that suited me. I didn't really want to be grinding away, having three or four attempts at every boss. Um, but then again, I didn't want them all to be too easy, so I kind of tailed off playing it a little bit. Um, but I did enjoy it. I really liked the scenario. I really liked the graphics, the music, the uh, the rich story and the rich environment. Um, and the fact that it's based on real tradition, real folklore, gives it a bit of uh, gravity. Um, it also has a lot of voice acting in it, which also slows things down a little um, the voice acting is kind of uneven in both um, tone and volume. Uh, one person sometimes speaking very quietly whilst one person is at really high volume. Um, and some of the acting is, is quite odd. But um, I do actually like the Black Book, and I think I am going to try and persist with it. I think it might be a mood thing, because I'd been playing um, Slay the Spire before, and I'd been playing Inscription, which is a very, very slick and um, kind of superlative card game. Black Book fell by the wayside a little for me, a little slow um, in the card battles. When I'm playing card battles, I really like to keep the pace up and find a rhythm uh, and really get through it quickly and move on to the next scenario. And all of that is quite slow in Black Book. There's a lot of animation, there's a lot of voice acting. Um, um, and I think that some people might really like that, and I think I might grow to like it too. So if that sounds interesting to you, I think this is this is a quality game. I'm just trying to find my own um, kind of terms with it, if you know what I mean, to really get into it. Uh, that's Black Book. And before I go on to talk about Inscription, I will just quickly mention that this show is Patreon-supported. Um, so if you like this show, if you've been a long-time listener, or if you like what you hear today, you can join uh, the Patreon at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild for as little as a dollar, a pound, or a euro a month. Um, and for that, you get to join the Discord server, talk to other listeners of the show. Everyone's always on there every day, sharing games, sharing screenshots, recommendations, sale picks, warning each other when something's leaving Game Pass, or getting excited when something new is coming. Uh, we've got channels now. We've just put in some channels um, for different formats. So there's a Nintendo, Xbox, PlayStation channel. There's a Game Chat channel. And just there's a lot going on there. You'll also get occasional extra episodes um, and sale recommendations from me and text reviews sometimes. So if any of that sounds fun and you'd like to support the show, I'd be very happy to have you. I really appreciate all of my patrons. So thanks to my existing patrons and thanks to you, if that sounds interesting. It's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of the episode, Inscription. So Inscription is a 2021 game by Canadian solo developer Daniel Mullins, who previously made The Hex and Pony Island. Um, it's published by Devolver Digital, and it's currently only available for Windows. 
via the usual places. Although I've got a feeling that if there is any justice in the world, this game is about to go viral enough that uh, console ports are warranted. Um, this game should be on everything, in my opinion. Although I did say earlier that I think deck builders work nicely with either touch or mouse controls. Um, it's done pretty well critically. Metacritic has it at 84 from critics and 92 from players. So it's done very well with the players. How Long To Beat has it at 12 hours, which seems a little low to me. Steam has my playtime at 20 hours, although I've got a feeling there was little AFK stuff going on there. Felt like about 15 to me, but it's a substantial game. And so Daniel Mullins describes it as, Inscription is an inky black card-based odyssey that blends the deck-building roguelike escape room-style puzzles and psychological horror into a blood-laced smoothie. Darker still are the secrets. All of which seems pretty accurate to me. I say, Inscription is a dizzying journey through a darkly mythic world in which nothing is what it seems. The unpredictable story unfolds through a slick, addictive, brilliant deck-battling card game with shock narrative twists and fiendish escape room puzzles. Trust me on this one, avoid the spoilers, and find a way to play it. Um, so I really loved this game. This is uh, a 10 out of 10 game for me. Um, I'm really still just so very impressed with uh, what Daniel Mullins has made here. It's something that has more to it than it seems. And I will reiterate that point that there are so many twists and turns in this game that I would really advise you not to read any reviews. I have read a few since I finished it, and there are soft spoilers in most of them. There are some structural things that you're best off not knowing anything about when you go into this game. And I'm only going to talk about the first chapter of the game here. I'm going to talk about the opening sequence of the game, the scenario and the, the gameplay. But I'm going to try very hard to steer away from any spoilers. If people in Patreon, in, in uh, the Gaming in the World Patreon, do decide to play this one and there is enough demand for it, I might well do a spoiler cast about it because there's so much that I want to talk about and I don't really know anyone else that has completed this game to talk about it with. It's the kind of game that you're going to want to unpack afterwards. But I think there is enough meat on the bones of the, the first section for me to give you a good feeling of what, what the game is like um, and some of the, the tricks that it pulls without giving away any of the late game stuff. Uh, but if you do want to go in entirely 100% blind... Um, then maybe this is one to skip and come back to you later. But I am going to do my utmost best to try and review the game without giving anything away. So Inscription is a, a card game of sorts that takes place in a, a strange wooden cabin. The game begins when you're looking down at a wooden table in a kind of rendered, strange, grainy, pixely style. You look up and you see a pair of eyes open in the darkness across the table, and you're challenged to a card game. There's no voice acting in this one, um, it's just text that appears on the screen. But where you are is an immediate question. Why are you in this dark cabin? And who does this strange pair of eyes belong to? Um, and so it's kind of straight into the card game. Um, you're dealt a few cards. You're dealt a stoat, a wolf, a squirrel card. They have attack um, number on the left bottom corner, and they have health in the, the right bottom corner, and a drawing of the animal on the card. And I will say that as far as tutorials go, Inscription is very, very good at walking you through the basics of the game. It has a lot of gameplay um, inclusions that you'll know if you're familiar with the card game genre. There are ways to buff your cards, there are ways to improve your cards, combine them to great effect. You can see what your opponent is going to play across the board. You can see them as they're coming towards you and you can plan accordingly. But something that is unusual about this game is that to get a card onto the board, you have to sacrifice something. So, for example, a wolf takes two um, sacrifices to get onto the board. A stoat takes one sacrifice. And every turn, you will get a squirrel card. They're free to play. They can't attack. They have one health. But if you put a squirrel onto the board, you can then sacrifice that squirrel and put down the stoat card, which can attack. Uh, it would take two squirrels to get a wolf out, or you can sacrifice um, other cards that you have on the board to try and get more powerful cards onto the board. So there is this system of sacrificing your own cards 
in order to try and get your most powerful cards onto the board. They stay in the first row, but the opponent's cards move across the board towards you. They attack you. Um, you have to defend and hit them back. You have to try and block them. But when there is no card between your opponent's card and you, yourself, the player, you'll take a hit. And when you take a hit, a few gold teeth will fall onto a pair of scales that is on the side of the board. And when the scales sink to the bottom, in either your direction or the direction of your mysterious opponent, the round is over, the board is rolled up from the table, and a map is laid out on the table. Um, and here you'll, you'll recognise this if you've played something like Slay the Spire. It's a, a map where you can choose a couple of different squares, where you'll have a couple of different encounters, maybe picking up a, a new card, maybe getting boons, maybe finding a wooden totem that will affect your squirrel card with a kind of a special symbol. You can also get single-use items, such as a pair of scissors that will allow you to cut one of your opponent's cards in half. Sometimes you can sacrifice one of your cards and alter uh, to another one to make that other card more powerful, so you can improve your cards by killing one and uh, giving its energy to another card. So it's a fully-featured deck-battling, deck-building card game in which you're trying to build the cards that you have in your deck, you're trying to improve the cards that you have, you're trying to optimise your deck, get rid of cards that you don't like, um, buff up your favourites, and figure out a strategy for getting through the game. Because it, it can be a little punishing at first. I think all card games can, usually. There is a period that you go through of acclimatization, of learning the rules, and of figuring out your strategy. Um, and it's not my favourite thing to do, to listen to people try to explain the rules of deck builders on a podcast. But I hope I'm doing an okay job for you here. Um, I will say that it's quite addictive, this card game, and that the bouts of cards occur between this very strange storytelling scenario where your opponent will be almost role-playing for you. So he's like explaining where you are, like you've stepped into a clearing Five people are staring at you. There is a crackling fire in front of you. Do you want to go and warm yourself by the fire or not? So you're kind of taking a risk with these kind of hungry trappers that seem very suspicious and like they might just eat you. But it's being played like a role-playing game with this mysterious opponent that you have also acting as a kind of a crazy dungeon master. Um, and it's it's very, very dark. It's very oppressive in atmosphere. You are very, very aware that you're playing for your life. Um, and the dungeon master opponent guy will tease you and taunt you, as well as teaching you. So it's a very strange situation that you're in. It's a bit of a hostage situation that you feel that you're in. And when the map is on the table between uh, rounds of cards, you can get it from your chair and you can walk around the cabin. There isn't much to see. That You can take a few steps in each direction. There is a safe. There is a clock. There is a kind of a sliding block puzzle with strange rules that you're not going to understand for quite a while. There is uh, some candles. There is a skull with gold teeth. And all of these things are kind of meta puzzles that attach to the broader um, sweep of the game. So there isn't a strange escape room going on. Um, and you're free to get up and walk around and those creepy eyes just follow you around the room until you come and sit back down again to play cards again. But you can unlock in the early game. Like if you get into the save, you're going to get yourself a card. Um, and that card will talk to you. So this is, all happens in the first 20 minutes of the game or so. But the card, you'll look down at it, there's a stoat and it kind of blinks at you and it says hello. And I'm just looking looking at the card in your hand, and it's saying, so who are you then? Another challenger, eh? Um, and so you're being told the story by this very, very bizarre um, antagonist, but then your cards will also try and communicate with you. And there's just something very, very strange going on in this game, and it really does intrigue you and sweep you along. And I think there is a lot to be said for the way that this game looks and sounds as well. 
Um, as you're looking at that strange pair of eyes across the table from you, occasionally a hand will come onto the table and just kind of tap its fingers as if it's waiting for you. 3D rendered, but not realist or anything, just dead interesting. Um, and occasionally, um, for example, if you encounter a trapper who you can sell pelts to, your opponent will lift up a carved wooden mask of a kind of grotesque trapper's face and put it on and then roleplay the trapper and talk to you about pelts and then take the mask off again. And the same goes for the boss fights. There are really cool boss fights at the end of each area. You'll start off in, I think, the lowlands and you'll end up in the forest and then the wetlands and reach the snow lines. There is several different levels, a little bit like in a Slay the Spire type game with a different background, different enemies to fight, and it gets progressively harder. But the boss fights are really fun. I will only say uh, who one of them is, but it's an angler. And so your your dungeon master will say, suddenly you smell the stench of rotten fish, and, and a, a shambling figure comes out of the trees. And you'll put on this, this mask and kind of hulk over the table, and the music kind of ramps up. Then you have to fight a special enemy with a special ability. For example, the angler can hook your cards, so you have to play more strategically against the bosses. And they're all really, really cool, and um, they add a lot to the game. Um, I think that if this was just a simple card game, it would still be absolutely brilliant. Um, but there is just so much more to it that I can't go into. Um, the metagame really goes to some wild places. Um, it really is a, a 10 out of 10 game, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by this one. It's it's very impressive. So as usual, I've written down some of the good things and uh, some of my peeves about it, and then a conclusion. So to to list off some of the good stuff, I mean, the pitch black humor and the the super oppressive atmosphere, and just the general darkness and brutality of this game, along with the, the strange mystery of what the hell is happening. Is, is overwhelming, really. It's so unusual. I can't think of another game like it, really. Um, it's just all so dark and gripping. Really, really brilliant. And the sense of not understanding what the hell is happening to you, but really needing to know and just being drip-fed these little bits of information, these strange talking cards, and trying to pick off some of the puzzles that are around the room and get clues that you have to unravel it's a mystery game as well as a card game, and it's a narrative game as well as a card game, and all of the different strands are, are woven together really tightly into a really good experience. But that doesn't detract from the card game itself. I, I think that the card mechanics at the heart of this game are fantastic, and it is a good card game at the core, but there is just so much built around it. You know, some games like, um, if I'm thinking about card games, like Slay the Spire has a very light narrative. It's it's barely there, really. It's all about the card battles, and then the scenario is just really there for colour, I think. Then you have games like Iris and the Giant, which was another card game, another deck battler that I really liked. I had this kind of um, emotional story attached to it, and there are a few games like that too. But I haven't played one that is as advanced as this one narratively, like the narrative of the game, the story of the game, and some of the strange narrative beats that go along with that story um, could have been a game in, in, in itself. It's the way that these different elements are melded together and the high level to which they are all um, executed is brilliant. And I have to say that the design of this game, the tutorialization of it, eases you in so smoothly. And before you know it, you are just completely gripped by the story, and by the card game, which is just addictive and needing to know what happens. It's all very user-friendly and well-designed, um, especially given that the person who's teaching you how to play, the person who is giving you these tutorials, is this weird aggressor, this antagonist who is sitting across the table from you. Um, and when you combine that with the escape room stuff, uh, the metagame, the, we the weird cabin, and, and the brilliant music, which is like spooky Vangelis meets like Rai Kuda Outback plucked string guitar. The music and the sound design is really outstanding. Um, and the graphics are too. Um, when, when you die in this game, a pair of hands will reach out from the blackness over the table and come towards you. It's, it's really horrifying. It's great. It's like a proper B 
B-movie horror moment where these big hands just grasp you and everything goes dark and then you have to take another run at it. And it is a bummer that I can't talk about where the story goes because it, it goes to some really dizzying places. And I, I will say again what I said in the intro, trust me on this one, just find a way to play this game. I played it on my Mac on a partitioned Windows hard drive because I don't have a PC, and it ran really well. Um, it wasn't hard to get that set up, you know. There is occasional games that I really want to play so much that are only on Windows. Uh, this is one of them. You know, it's maybe five games a year that are just on Steam, just on Windows, or on Itch or whatever. Um, and so I'm really glad to have that window set up on my Mac. Um, the games that I've played over there have run really well. It's not as hard as I thought it would be to get that partition drive set up and to run Windows on a Mac. But hopefully this game will come out on other platforms too, if you've got no option uh, to play it, no access to any kind of Windows machine. So as for the bad things, there, there aren't many. I think this game is nigh on perfect, to be honest. Um, there are a couple of difficulty spikes. Um, there are a couple of times when I was losing the same battle over and over again, and I did get a little frustrated. But to be honest, um, when that happened, it was usually because I had not cracked the problem. Um, some of the deck battles, some of the, the card battles, are problem-solving exercises. They're puzzles in the form of a card battle. You really have to figure out your strategy. You have to figure out what the enemy's strength is and how to declaw them in order to get your attacks through. So I don't think that that was really a failing. Um, I got a bit frustrated, but I do tend to get frustrated when I lose. Anyway, I'm a really bad loser. Uh, it's something that I'm not proud of. But, um, I am a very ragey gamer when things aren't going my way. Um, so I think it was usually just me not using the systems properly, um, which might speak to an assumed knowledge, but I think I'm fairly um, experienced at playing deck battlers and card games at this point. Um, so I think it's honestly just... I think the game sometimes asks you to do outside-of-the-box thinking that you're maybe not quite expecting. It's a game where you really have to have your wits about you, um, and you have to be very observant. Um, it breaks the fourth wall quite often, like with the cards talking to you, and it will really use every everything in its arsenal to lay traps and set puzzles for you in ways that you just really wouldn't expect it to do. Uh, I'm back to praising it. This is supposed to be the section where I talk about the, the weaknesses of the game, but there really are none. No significant ones to speak of, really. Um, there are a couple of odd puzzles. I had to look at a guide once uh, because there was a puzzle where you're just left in a dark room and I couldn't figure out how to get out of there. But again, it was me overlooking a clue that was pretty front and centre. I think I was just speeding along to try and progress the story. And so I missed a very important clue and found myself not sure what to do. Um, one criticism that I have seen pop up in a couple of reviews is that the late game isn't as good as the opening section, but that's something that I really disagree on. Um, the game goes to some pretty wild places, but for me, the quality was consistently high throughout. Um, I can't really give any more away than that. I don't want to spoil it at all for you. But for me, this was really a totally next-level game. Um, I got the tangible feeling that I was experiencing a classic just at release. Um, I, I was actually thinking that during playing it. I was like, oh my god, I think this is one of those games. Uh, to me, this is like how people who played Portal might have felt when that first came out, or you know, um, the Stanley Parable or something like that. Like These games that really do something new and different and exciting. I really feel like this is one of those games. I've only played a handful of games that have ever impressed me more than this one, I have to say, so I can't give it much more high praise than that. This was one of the most surprising, brilliant games that I've played in recent memory, to be honest. That's Inscription. So I hope you've enjoyed this uh, spooky Halloween episode. Hope you enjoyed hearing about those games. It's a really interesting exercise for me to actually put my head into the, the horror genre and see what's up. I did enjoy playing all of these, um, even if my reviews weren't always glowing. I think there's something to be said for all of them. Uh, Moondown is definitely a stylistic work that is worth checking out. It's another solo developer game. 
Um, the developer is an interesting Twitter presence, and I hope the game sells well for him. I think it has done. It's been a little bit of a, a low-key indie success, I think. Uh, Black Book is a, an interesting game too. I think there is a lot to be said for the the realism and the kind of the groundedness that it has in that uh, genuine folklore rather than a fantastical setting that was just written for the game. It's it's nice to play something and feel like you're you're learning as well. And uh, the medium is a, a wonderfully cinematic game. Um, I think I am going to continue with Black Book and Medium. And Inscription is a game that I th I'm sure I'll play again sometime. Even though it's over now, I do find myself wanting to go back in for more rounds of cards. Um, I think maybe there is some way to go back in and play just play cards, but it speaks to the quality of the card game itself that that is something that I would want to do. Um, there are a couple of other games I've been playing. Um, I have been dipping into some games that are leaving Game Pass. Um, some of my lovely patrons over on the Discord server recommended playing Carto before it left Game Pass. And I've been playing Carto and really, really enjoying it. It's the least spooky game in the world, but it's probably just the antidote that I needed after all of this anxiety-inducing horror games. I've also been playing a bit of Eastshade, and I'm really quite smitten with that one. Again, it's about as far as you can possibly get from being a spooky game. It's a little bit like Skyrim-y, but if you took away all of the combat, all of the drama, and all the dragons, it's like a pastoral... Skyrim, where you just wander around an island talking to these curious anthropomorphic animals that ask you to do paintings for them and solve problems for them. It's really pretty to look at. I'm having a really good time with Eastshade. Um, I think they're both leaving Game Pass in like four days, and Eastshade really doesn't feel like the kind of game that I want to rush through. Carto is maybe a one-and-done puzzle game, you know. But Eastshade's an open-world game, and it's a very pretty one. So I might have to pick that one up on the Xbox and carry my save over. I think you get like a discount when a game's leaving Game Pass if you want to buy it. Um, and maybe those are games that I will cover in a future episode. So thank you very much for listening to this one. Um, if you would like to join that discussion over on the Discord and recommend games to me to cover on the show and uh, see what everyone's playing, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to become a member for just a dollar a month. Um, you can also find me on social media. I would love to hear your thoughts on Inscription, on The Medium, on Black Book, on all of the games that I cover today, on Mundown. You can find me on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild, also on YouTube, Twitch, and Instagram. And I also really appreciate it if people drop star ratings or reviews on the podcast over on Apple, if you're listening on an Apple device. I really appreciate that too. So thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care of yourselves and each other, and have a great Halloween. Halloween.